the stiffer I will get. So I can tell you that I was uh, hurting pretty good this morning. Point is, this morning we're going to look at something, and I'm sitting up here, and um, this first part of my sermon was made while sitting over there rubbing my knee, is I am a blessed person. There's no doubt about it. I'm, a, I'm blessed to be married to Faye. I'm blessed to be a Christian. I'm blessed to be a pastor here at the church. And I'm blessed to have a family that actually works together, sticks together, um, just all those kinds of things. I am a really blessed person. But smack in the middle of that, and I just didn't put this together until right now. Friday afternoon, in in my office, I had the privilege, what I believe, to lead two people to Christ. They were hoping that they were going to make it. They they were hoping they were good enough. I believe I had the privilege of leading them to Christ. I have the privilege on Wednesday to preach the funeral sermon and eulogy for my mother. No doubt about it, she was a believer. And I, that church down there will be full, and I have, it's the same church, same denomination church I grew up in, and if it's anything like when I grew up there, uh, they don't understand the gospel. I have uh, 12 or 15 minutes to present the gospel. I'm a privileged character. In the middle of that, whew, This morning, last night before I got home, I was almost the way I had a pinched nerve. This week, we were way behind. Thank you, Peter. Peter helped me out this morning. Uh, Put it this way. I have never asked people to do anything. I'd like, okay, I'll just do it. Peter is getting dumped on because I'm like, Peter, I can't do this. You've got to do it. And uh, praise the Lord, he's willing to do whatever I ask him to do. (laughs) Dave's willing to go. and, And you know what? I'm a privileged person. My wife even puts up with my moaning and groaning. This week, we, uh, I spent entirely way too much, a half a day, dealing with the Department of Agriculture because we sprayed our weeds here. You just... Anyway, and then I heard Chris and my wife and I discussed this because if you can go to jail for not issuing same-sex marriages because you're an agent of the government, do you realize what I say in every marriage ceremony? By the authority vested in me by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You realize they're coming for me and every other person who won't do that. It's not happening now. So, so don't, don't think that's what I'm telling you. It will happen. There's no doubt in my mind. And it's going to happen. I thought it might be a long time from now. I'm not sure about that anymore. But you know what? I'm a blessed person. You probably are too. But that doesn't mean times are easy. That doesn't mean problems come. That whole strain of Christianity that says, name it and claim it. If you're living right for the Lord, everything's going to be good. You're going to be wealthy and you're going to be good looking and you won't have any problems in life. That is just plain garbage. It's never been promised. And by the way, the only person who ever lived not a good life, but a perfect life, landed up dying for us. Just remember that. The Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, was one that was thrown in jail just because he was doing God's work. Don't ever think if hard times are coming, it's because you're not. By the way, if you are sinning and you're in judgment because of your sin, deal with the sin. 
But if you are living for the Lord and trying to do His will and being obedient to Him and bad things come, don't go, oh, it's God's fault. No, we live in a sin-cursed world. We have sin-cursed bodies. My knees prove that one really big time. I have to apologize to Bob because I've made fun of him over the years, call him an old, decrepit guy, and now I'm walking in worse than he is. You know, I'm like, Bob, I'm, I'm joining you quick. The, the problem is, we usually think, if I'm living for the Lord, everything's wonderful. It's just not true. If you're Pastor Saeed, living for the Lord doesn't make life wonderful. If you're a chaplain in the armed services or on a football team, it doesn't make life wonderful for you. This morning, we're going to see that. And that's our purpose this morning, to look at Genesis chapter 26 and see there's a problem with blessings. First of all, God does bless in the hard times. It says in, in verse um, 2 of Genesis chapter 2, <coughs> it says, The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, there was a famine again in the land. When a famine comes in the Bible, you go, Problem! Because that's usually what is happening. God is giving a time of testing. It's not fun. A famine is not just you have bad knees or someone died or any of those kinds of things. But it's like you may not eat. You may not drink because of the famine. And that's exactly what happens. And it says it was one just like uh, when Abraham was in the land. So Isaac went to Gerar uh, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And then it says he lived among them. <clears throat> and in that midst of it, he was tempted, like Abraham did, to go to Egypt. God told him, do not do that. I don't think this is the same Abimelech as with Abraham. Could have been. They lived pretty long, but it's 90 years later. Abimelech is probably a title like Pharaoh or king, that type of thing. And uh, so they just said Abimelech, you know, like the king or the president, that type of thing. But nonetheless, this town he went to obviously was the town that had some resources, and uh, that's where he was. But again, he is in the middle of those that were against him. You're going to see that. I can make that statement now because I know the end of the chapter. But they were not the people that were friendly. In fact is, because of God's blessings, they were afraid of Isaac. And Isaac was afraid of them. It is that tension that will always be in this world when you live for the Lord. And so uh, he, God goes on in the, the verses 3 through 5 to say, Look, like I told Abraham, I'm telling you. You are the son of promise. My promise of the land, of the people, of the Redeemer. All of those things are coming through you. I'm repeating it. God never stutters and he doesn't change his story. He said, I'm going to, you're the son of promise. Remember, that's Isaac. Uh, and he repeats it. God is going to repeat that over and over and over again. You might get tired of hear, me hearing that. But if you miss that, you won't understand the politics of the world today. Because you'll go, yeah, Israel's a pain in the neck. Just get rid of it. 
God doesn't look at it that way. But there's a second side to this. Because while God's promise to Israel is unconditional. He didn't ask us, do we want Israel to be his chosen people? Do we want God? He didn't ask us, should I bless Israel? Should I set them aside from all other nations? He didn't ask us that. He's telling us that. He has the right to do that. He's God. On the other hand, there is an unconditional side to this, and that is, even if you are the son of promise, and you're in the line of promise, and of the nation of promise, and you're in the land of promise, it doesn't mean you will experience the joy and the blessings that go with it if you are not personally and conditionally obeying what God says. Just like being a Christian doesn't mean that you will experience all the joys and the blessings of being a Christian If you say, yeah, I've trusted Christ, but then you go and continue to live like the world, God cannot bless you. doesn't mean you lose your salvation, just like Israel is still God's chosen people. But we need to understand, obedience does bring blessing. Today, Israel, while it's still God's chosen people, it's still God's land, is not in the place of God's blessing. Oh, there are a lot of great things. If you, if you don't believe that, uh, get a uh, subscription to Israel My Glory and just read the great things that come out of Israel and the great things that they do even when they're being attacked. They do things that even some Christians wouldn't do in mercy and grace toward their enemies. But the point is, they're still not in the place of blessing. So we want to be in that place of blessing. The second thing that we see here is that um, and he told them, just stay in the land, don't go down. By the way, Gerer is um, right outside of Gaza. It's a little bit down toward the desert. By the way, eventually we're going to see, and I'm not going to come back to this slide, so I'll point it out now. See Beersheba below that? We're going to land up in Beersheba before we're at the end of the chapter. Beersheba is the bottom of basically where you can live in Israel. The rest of it is pure desert. Now, you can live there, but it's going to be very, very difficult. It's the wilderness, the place that will not on its own sustain habitation and anything like that. So the temptation may come in the time of blessing. And without a doubt, it absolutely does. It says in verses 7 and 8, when the men of the place ask about his wife, uh, he said, she is my sister. Oh, have we heard this before? Yeah, like father, like son. Because he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. I'm going to tell you, anytime you endeavor to live for the Lord, you better have a spiritual backbone. Because fear always is the enemy of faith. Only faith overcomes fear. If you live in fear, you will be an invalid spiritually and a whole lot of other ways. What does Isaac do? He's a great man. There's no doubt about it. His wife's a great woman. But they, at times, like us, live in fear and act upon that. And uh, he's like, oh, well, if I say she's my wife, hey, she's good looking. These guys are going to have their eyes on him. And uh, you know what? They might think. Get rid of that guy and then she'll be free. By the way, they understood morality 
pagan though they were, they understood morality. You don't mess with somebody else's wife. That's not what you do. And they knew that. And it's very clear in the scripture that they knew that. In fact is, and uh, this is one that uh, there's not a whole lot of teenagers in this service and young people, but I'm going to hammer this. And, And you need to know it as an adult too. Because sometimes we look at what kids do and go, oh, that's just kids. That's just teenagers. That's the way they act. I'm going to tell you and uh, that it says in verse um, 8 and following, And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Whoa. Do you notice what that says? Now, it's the same word as laughter. It's the same word as when they rose up to play after they made a golden idol. It is a word that is used about a dozen times in the Old Testament. Almost always in the negative. Samson. When he was captured and they put him in the temple of the, the pagan god, they said, entertain us. Same word. When Joseph had to run out of the palace because Pharaoh's, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife said, he's trying to make sport of us. In other words, it's used in a negative way. Well, here it's used in a positive negative. It's saying, hold it a second. Nobody does this. No man does this to anyone but their wife. You see, even the pagans knew there were some things that shouldn't happen outside of marriage. There are some things that are reserved for marriage. He's caressing, that's the word. He's caressing his wife and they're going, Hold it a second. You don't do those kinds of things to your sister. Now, I don't know what the world he was doing. It doesn't tell us that. All I know is he was doing two stupid things. One, he lied. And the second is, he's doing something that should never be in public. Only in private. He's doing it in public. How this all worked, I don't know. Were they on the roof of the house like David and Bathsheba? I don't know what it was. It doesn't tell us. All I know is something that should never be seen in public and would never occur except between a husband and wife or shouldn't occur between a husband and wife was happening. And as a result, uh, Abimelech got his antenna up. He's going, hold it. Something isn't right here. Something is absolutely out of place. There are activities that are for marriage exclusively. If you have teenagers, that's one of the things you need to let them know. I uh, Many times, and I think I actually used this as a, as a sermon outline a long time ago, but I made a uh, 15 no exceptions premarital rules. I'm not going to read them all because they don't all apply here. But it says, uh, number six, don't allow emotions or hormones to get in the way of your brain. Infatuation will warp your judgment. Physical interaction and sexual stimulation encourages us to begin something we're not supposed to finish. Awaking desires that we're not allowed to consummate. And turning on passions that are almost impossible to turn off. God commands us to flee youthful lusts. You know what? Nothing wrong with that in marriage. In fact, is it's an expectation in marriage. 
but not when you're not married. Number seven says the law of diminishing returns is always in effect. What was thrilling and exciting yesterday is, is the norm today and will require more to be exciting tomorrow. The truth of the matter is for young people, as we encourage and guide them, it's like, hold it a second. Marriage has its privileges. And those privileges are not to be exercised before you're married. And they could go on, and uh, I'll just give you one more. Never do anything that would hinder your relationship if you stop dating um, each other. Sexual stimulation and intimacy are designed for marriage only. And the truth of the matter is, if you do them with somebody else and then you break that up, it leaves a scar. You know it? I know it. That's just the way it is. And we need to be careful. But the point is this. Even pagans know that those sexual things belong only to marriage. The Bible is very, very clear about that. As I was thinking about this, I remembered back a lot of years, uh, the year after Faye and I got married, <clears throat> we went to Word of Life Bible Institute. Now they have, I don't know what the rules are today, but their rules are that if you're single, there is no physical contact whatsoever. If you're married, not a big deal. You fan, I could walk on campus holding hands or whatever else. We made it. I, I don't know why we did this, but uh, I believe it was the, still to this day the smartest thing we could have done. We made it a rule for ourselves that we will not do anything on campus that the other students weren't allowed to do. We had the right to do it but because we're married. But we knew that it would make it hard for them. And it did. We talked to some of them, and it really did make it hard for them. In fact, is, we still laugh about this. One day we were riding with another married couple, and we had to stop to pick something up. Faye and I were in the back seat. And one of the dorm supervisors, or whatever they called them back then, comes running over. He's like, what did they say? Are you two engaged? I think, is what, I think it was, are you two engaged? Well, the thing is, it didn't matter if you're engaged or not, because we weren't supposed to be riding in the car together and whatever else. And we're like, no, we're married. Oh, turn around and left. The, the point is this. There are actions that are for marriage only. We need to pass that on to the next generation. I'm not going to tell you to listen to it. I'm telling you we have the responsibility of teaching them that. And so this whole thing just is going to blow up in his face because at this point, Abimelech is really angry. Verse 10 says, and Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? I mean, I think if I stood up here and yelled with a really angry face, I think that would express what this is saying. One of our people may have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Wow. He's mad. I, I don't see it any other way. I can't, I can't see anything else in this text. He is really angry. He's like, you could have brought guilt. And when it talks about guilt, we know what the rest of the Bible says about adultery. Remember, that would have been adultery. If somebody else would have taken his wife, went into her, had sex with her, he, they would have been guilty. And they, even the pagans, knew that was wrong. The rest of the Old Testament makes it clear, thou shalt not commit adultery. doesn't matter if it was under false pretenses or not. It, it's still unfaithful to your marriage vow. 
And in fact, is in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 and Leviticus, I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. It says, you know what? If you do that, both of them shall be stoned, put to death. So that tells you God's attitude toward it. Now, we don't live under the law, but even if we don't live under the law, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this, marriage is honorable in all, valuable, precious, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You see, God hasn't changed his attitude. The way he deals with it may be slightly different, but his attitude toward it is exactly the same as it was in the Old Testament. Sometimes we uh, just look at it and say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. No, when God says something, he means it, and he means what he says. He always has. And so Abimelech, being at least an honorable man, just like the other one, it's like, hold it a second, you lied to us, you deceived us. He said to the people in verse 11, so Abimelech charged all the people saying, "Who he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. In other words, stay away from them, stay away from them, stay away from them. Because there is judgment and God does bring judgment. <clears throat> God's blessing may bring problems. Remember how I started? I said, just because God is blessing you doesn't mean there won't be problems. In fact is, I could pretty much make the statement that if God is blessing you, you better watch your back. You better watch alongside and you better watch for the trip hazards ahead of you. Let me, Mike, could you close those doors? I've got a glare off of somebody's car right in my eyes and I can barely see Thank you. <clears throat> it, because if blessings are coming, Satan and the world is going to be jealous, envious of what happens. And that's exactly what happens. And it says in verse 13, And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And for he had possessions of flocks and herds and great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Yeah, envy has to do with something that someone else sees what you have and they want to deprive you of it. We've seen these words before and we'll see them again. I keep this slide handy because I need to refer because there's a number of words. If you remember, jealousy is I want the same as the other person, you know, uh, covetous is I want what somebody else has. And the last one, greed, is just, I want more. But envy is the one we're looking at right now. Hey, you shouldn't have that. We don't want you to have that. And why does Isaac have what he has? Because God blessed him. So do not be surprised if the world comes after you, if Satan harasses you, if God is blessing you, it shouldn't surprise you at all. It's not a new thing. A lot of times we see why we, we say, well, why do the wicked prosper? That's all through the Bible, too. But the wicked don't mind if they're prospering. They say, see, we don't need God. We can we can do OK on ourselves on our own by ourselves. But the truth of the matter is they really don't like it 
When somebody who claims they're a Christian, a believer, and they're being blessed by God, it says they envied him. They didn't want him to have what he had. It goes on in verse 15. Now, all the wells of his father's servants had his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. The Philistines stopped them up by filling them with earth. This is how nasty this is. This is how much they did not like Isaac being blessed. Remember, where they are living, if you don't have a well, you don't survive. Your cattle, your sheep do not survive. You do not survive. You must have a well. And the well that they would have dug probably looked a little different than a well that we would think of a little round hole in the ground and you put a bucket down. They had those, but a lot of them, they would dig it like a set of steps down into the rock. And so you would walk down, get it, walk back up. That's probably what Rebecca did when she watered uh, the servant's camels. <clears throat> she would have to go down, get the water, walk back up, that kind of thing. We don't know which kind of well it was, but... All I know is they were something permanent, and without that, you couldn't sustain life. And so what these guys did, in their envy, went and said, Okay, so God's blessing him. We're going to make sure he pays for that. We're going to, we can stop God's blessing. Well, guess what? The world cannot stop God's blessing. Can they make it miserable for you? The answer is absolutely yes, they can. There's no doubt about it. And then they say, remember, they're envious but they're also afraid of him. Look at verse 16. And then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. They saw God's blessings and they realized there is nothing their pagan gods could do to compete. They, they looked at him and said, You know what? If this guy turns on us, we're dead because he is stronger than we are. Isaac inherited, remember, Everything that was Abraham's. So we're not talking a lonely tent in the middle of the wilderness someplace. We're talking about all the servants, all the cattle, all the gold. We're talking about a moving city. And when they looked, they remember, Abraham had 318 men that he could call at any moment as his personal security force, his personal army. Uh, they would have all been inherited by Isaac, and maybe even more so, because Isaac on his own right had things too. So <coughs> they are now officially scared of him. So Isaac went and he moved down the valley a little farther uh, in the valley of Gerar and settled there. He, he probably somewhere just a few miles away, probably as many as 10 miles away, but he begins to dig wells. And I'm not going to go into all of this. But what he does is he goes back uh, and he opens the wells back up. <laughs> what a pain in the neck. He goes back, shovels everything back out that had been uh, there before. I will tell you that just because God has blessed you in the past, and a well always stands for God's blessing and more than that, but it definitely does in this case, is... Just because God has blessed you, be aware. If God has blessed you, the world is going to be envious and they're going to try to stop the blessing because they're envious, jealous, covetousness, and they're just plain greedy. They're going to try to stop you. That's what they did. They put, put the wells back. 
Just because you have God's blessing doesn't mean it's instant and, oh, God has blessed me today, so I'm good, I don't have to do anything else. No. Once God has blessed you, you have the responsibility to cultivate that blessing, to care for that blessing if you're going to fully benefit from it. Now, it's a whole lot easier redigging the well than it was the first time. But the truth of the matter is, they had to go back and redig them. But it says in verse 19, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, that seems to be a well that was a really good one. It might have been when they hit it, it actually just came up like a spring. I'm not sure exactly what it means. I haven't been able to find that out. But it was a, it was a really good one. The herdsmen of, of, the, <clears throat> of Abimelech's uh, tribe, uh, they didn't like it. And they said, the water is ours. Hey. That's ours. Now, they had nothing to do with it, but they wanted to claim it for themselves. The world likes what they, they like what we have. When God blesses us, they like it. They want to claim it. They don't want to have the relationship. They don't want to have the, the faith, but they want what's ours. So they quarreled, and then they named it, and it goes on and on again, and those kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is, reason that they're envious is the new testament in matthew chapter 6 says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you see god's blessings are not because we deserve them or earn them or pay for them in any way god gives them but if you go back in matthew chapter 6 you will find that those are the things that are the end focus of the world. The the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. That's what their life is based on. God gives them as a part of our benefit package for trusting Him. And they see that, and they want that same thing. And so, finally, he just gets, they they didn't quarrel, but you know what? Uh, He said, the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. And you know what? He just said, you know what? I'm just going to move away. And he moved further toward the wilderness. Doesn't make it life easier, but he moved to Beersheba. Remember I told you that I'm not getting back to that slide. But he moved further away. He was tired of fighting with them. And I have to tell you that, you know, there are some battles that are worth fighting. And then there's other things. You just walk away and go, you know what? This is just a no-win situation. Just walk away from it. Uh, In this case, that's exactly. Now, I will tell you that when God blesses, we can have the ability to exploit that and use it against other people. Isaac could have done that. He could have said, Abimelech, get lost, move out of here, or I'm going to just whoop you badly and you're going to wish you did. Okay? He could have done that. There's not a doubt in my mind that he had the ability to do that. And that's not a guess on my part. Abimelech said, no, you're too strong for us. So Abimelech knew that it could happen. But Isaac didn't use God's blessings to to smash down other people. That is the worst thing you could do. It's like, look at me. I got, I'm going to last by God, and I'm going to do to you whatever I want kind of thing. It's, you know, I'll do whatever I want. No, that is not God's viewpoint. That's not what he wants us to do. 
But those blessings, well, let's look at what it says in verses uh, 28 and 29. They said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Notice what it says, just as we have not touched you and have done and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now you are now the blessed of the Lord. You know what? It doesn't say they've accepted Jehovah God. It doesn't say they became believers. But here's what happened. If we live the way God wants us to live, the world has to acknowledge. Reluctantly, they have to acknowledge that something's different. That's the minimum. They have to acknowledge that what God has done in our lives did not come because of us. Nobody looking at Paul Mulfair can go, you know what? God blesses him because he's such a great person. Listen, if you think that you've been fooled for a long time, let me set the record straight. That is not me. You want verification? I always say this. Talk to my wife. You know, talk to my kids. They know who I am. Okay? I, I try to serve the Lord. I try to do what is right. I ask the Lord to help me at all times. I don't always make it. But all I know is God blesses in spite of all those things. The New Testament puts it very clearly. And I like this passage, you know. Um, in fact, is I already thought I was going to do another passage for Sunday Funday, which is next week, by the way. You can pray for me. I'm still struggling between what I'm going to preach on. I'm either going to preach on responsibility and how to deal with that, end up with you can't do it except by faith in Jesus Christ, or I'm going to use Romans chapter 12. Because Romans chapter 12 has become one of my favorite passages. I call it the mother-in-law passage. But the reason that I use this, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. That's what Isaac needs to do. But this is the New Testament version by the Apostle Paul. And verse 18 is the key verse as far as I'm concerned. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Notice it doesn't say you can always be at peace with everyone. But from your side of the court, on your side of the net, you need to make sure you're doing what is right. You cannot control the other side. But you should do what God wants you to do. That's all you can do. There are miserable people in this world and cantankerous and angry and mis- uh, I said miserable. Put any word in there you want. And you cannot change them. They are just mad at the world. They hate themselves. They hate the world. They hate you. They hate everything. And you know what? They are just, everybody knows one or two of them. You can't change them. But what you can do is be an example. And from your side, in fact, as it goes on, and you know the rest of it, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Don't take your own vengeance. And then it ends with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason I wanted to use that, and I think I might use it, is because I can look at an audience, whether and there's unsaved people or saved people there, and say, you know what? I just read a whole bunch of things that you on your own could never carry out. (laughs) I have no inclination whatsoever to be nice to people who are nasty to me. 
(laughs) That is not in me. And guess what? I don't think it's in you either. Every now, maybe if you woke up on the right side of the bed one day and you go, hey, that person's really nasty to me. I'll be nice to them today on your own. You might do it for a while until they really do you in. And then you go, okay, I'm done. Right? Yeah. And unfortunately, you could be married to the person. They could be your parent. They could be your kid. They could be your neighbor. They could be somebody at Garden Chapel. Who knows where they are? The point is, that's impossible on our own. Really is. Only through Christ. So I, I, I've been struggling with, I'd like to use that. That would make a good sermon too. I'm not sure. But uh, you get a preview this week of where I'm going. Here's the bottom line. As a Christian, we absolutely need to take a stand for what is true and right. Right? Anybody disagree? No. If, if we shouldn't do that, we got to get rid of Chris Adler. Okay. Because when he comes up here and says, hey, people are being persecuted, it's like, you know what, don't take a stand, just let it go. You know, that's the way it is. I'm not sure I agree with Mrs. Who it is that's in jail because of not issuing the marriages. All I know is if they can do that to her, it may not be too far away for us. And that one, there's, a, there's, you could have a long discussion on that one. My wife asked me twice already, what's your opinion? I'm going... Um, I still haven't figured that one all out of my head yet, but I pretty much figured it, I think. But that's not the sermon this morning. The point is, as a Christian, we should never go around looking for a fight. If you go around looking for a fight, I guarantee you will find one. When I was a young Christian, I was almost looking for a fight because... My witnessing was arguing with people. And I had a young man uh, that I was going on visitation with. We went back to the car after I just argued with somebody. And he says, spiritual truth is never given by argument. And it hit me. Then I went to Word of Life and they told me this. Uh, then Dr. John Mitchell, who was an old guy that didn't even need, need to use his Bible to teach through the whole book of Revelation. He had the whole thing memorized. He said, spiritual truth is never imparted by argument. <sighs> well, you get stabbed really good on that one. The point is this. If I go looking for a fight, I'll guarantee you I will find one. If I walk around with a chip on my shoulder, God has blessed me. I'm one of his. Oh, ain't I wonderful? Oh, you'll get a fight. But it says, no, 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 no. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That does not say don't have a backbone. That does not say don't take a stand. But I'm not looking for a fight. I would rather. By the way, Isaac's a great illustration of that. Because He says, you know what? I could take them on. They know I could take them on. But you know what? Because of that, I'm just going to move away from here. I'm going to do that. There is a time to just step back and let it go. Because all you're going to do is a fight. Might win. But it's not going to glorify God. There's one last thing. And I wish we didn't have to have this one. But the relationships are the biggest indication of how well our life is going. If you are sitting here and you go, everybody hates me. Everybody's against me. You know what? How's that go? 
Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. I'm going to eat some worms. Big, fat, juicy ones. Little, round, squirmy ones. I'm going to eat some worms. If that's you, forget it. You know what? you got a problem. I probably said that wrong, didn't I? Somebody informed me afterwards. But anyway, if you go around and say, everybody that I know is against me. My kids are against me. My wife's against me. My parents are against me. My neighbors, my people at church all tell me I'm wrong. Uh, you know, everybody's against me. You better go back and examine your life. Especially people that love you and care about you. If they're saying you're, you're wrong, you, you ought to go check. You ought to go do an in, uh, uh, inventory of your life, an evaluation of your life. Because here's what happens, and this is just the last two verses. It says, when Esau, that is uh, <clears throat> the other brother, it says when he was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Berei the Hittite, and Basemouth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, there's a reason that's in there, and it looks like it's out of place. Because when I was studying this, and I'm like, how do you put that in a sermon? Here's what you find. He is the exact opposite of what Isaac was doing. You know what? He goes totally against everything that his parents stood for. I didn't say that they always got it right. But he just says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You know what? I'm going to buy into the world big time. By the way, that's exactly what the Bible says about Esau. Uh, He was one that basically was a godless and immoral man. And he did whatever he wanted to. And uh, that whole word there of grief, it's like a tickle. You know what? My wife has a cold right now, and every now and then she starts coughing. Why she cough? Because there's the tickle there. And it's irritating. It's agitating. And in this case, it brings grief. It's just those little things, adding, 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 and after a while, it's just really, really irritating. That's what Esau did. Did Isaac and Jacob and Abraham always get it right? No. But when God held their feet to the fire, they got their attitude right. That's us because you're going to blow it too. Unlike Esau who just blew it and didn't care. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, you indeed are a God that is bigger than we are. You're a God that wants to bless us more than we want the blessing. You know we need the blessing because on our own, we just won't make it. Lord, help us to realize that a blessing is a precious thing to be used and cultivated for your glory. Used for the good of other people. And Lord, used not as a basis for picking fights and taking sides, but one that just simply shows what a great God you are. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that so far as it depends on us, we would live at peace with all men. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us of that this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.